Welcome to Season 2 of Breaking Free. I'm Rania Kurdi, a confidence life coach, comedian and mother of two. I invite you to join me bi-weekly for confidence tips and interesting chats with my guests who work in fields that help develop confidence. And sometimes with people who have a personal story to share of how they were able to break free from fears that held them back from living their life with confidence and purpose. Welcome to Breaking Free for an amazing episode, talking to the CEO, co-founder and visionary of Muse, Ariel Garten. She's here to discuss the amazing brain-sensing headband that tracks your brain as you meditate so you can sleep better and feel less anxious. She's an inspiring neuroscientist, innovator and entrepreneur who has been on CNN several times and featured in magazines such as Forbes, Fortune, GQ, O Magazine. And she's described by Bloomberg as an innovator who completely remakes reality. Hi, Ariel. Hello. It is a joy and pleasure to be here. I'm very excited to be sharing with you. I can't wait to get started. I would love to talk more about your beginnings, how the life choices, the career choices that you made have led to your life purpose. You started out as a fashion designer and then you studied psychotherapy because you were interested in the mind and after that you studied neuroscience and all of this really makes sense how it's led to you becoming an innovator of a headband that uses technology but requires design to create Muse. I'd love to know how that started. And of course, now you're a mom as well. Of two, yes. So the journey was definitely not obvious. Um, when I started as a, as a youngster, I was really interested in both art and science. So I was interested, my mother was an artist. And so I would watch her make these incredible oil on canvas, large scale works. And she, from nothing, from a blank canvas, would just create this beauty that was in her imagination that she brought to life. Um, at the same time, I loved science. I did really well at science in school. I got a job in a research lab uh, through a co-op when I was 17, still in high school, doing embryonic stem cell research on neck out mice in the late 90s. And so I had these two sides of me, the scientific side, who was curious about how the world worked and, and really understanding it from a very technical perspective, and the artistic side that wanted to express and create experiences that could allow you to feel and like understand in a visceral sense, mm. you know, the experience of being human or anything else, any other experience. And these two threads, I was trying to figure out how to tie them together. So in... Even in high school, I started a little line of clothing. There was the expressive side, but I brought in uh, ideas from science and technology into the garments that I was creating. And then I became fascinated by the brain as um, sort of like the seat, the thing that connects uh, both the artistic understanding and feeling of the world and the scientific, like, this is actually how it works. So I went on to study psychotherapy because that was one way to access the the brain um, more from the creative side and like understand how it is working and why. And I went on to study neuroscience to really get the technical pieces. You make it sound like it's so easy to study neuroscience and uh, <laughs> psychotherapy. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, over time, you, you build these skills and you, you know, acquire these knowledge, this knowledge and these experiences. 
Um, and all of this sort of came to a culmination when I began creating Muse with my co-founders, Chris and Trevor. So what Muse is, is it's a clinical grade EEG, uh, a device that actually tracks your brain activity. Um, but we use it in this very beautiful and creative way for self-knowledge. So Muse tracks your brain during meditation and gives you real-time feedback to know when you're doing it right. So as a therapist, I was always encouraging my um, patients to meditate. I was trying to teach them to meditate. And frankly, I sucked at meditation. Mm. But as a scientist, <laughs> I knew all of the papers that said that meditation is so extraordinarily good for your mind and body, but it was just so hard to do. I, you know, tell my patients how to meditate, not teach them because I sucked at it. So you can't really teach something you suck at, but tell them. And they'd come back and it's like, did you meditate? And they're like, well, maybe. So we started creating Muse to really solve that problem of what am I supposed to be doing here when I meditate? You know, am I doing this right? And what Muse does is it uh, is able to detect when your brain is in the meditation state and translate that into a guiding audio experience for you. So when you're meditating, you hear it as quiet and calm. And as your mind starts to wander into thoughts and you move off your meditation, you hear it as stormy. And that becomes your cue to bring your attention back to your meditation. So it's this very simple, beautiful, easy interface that really shows you what you're doing, guides you to do it right, quote unquote. Um, and then after the fact, gives you data, charts, graph scores, things that actually show you what your brain was doing moment by moment um, and how your meditation practice is evolving. Wow, that's so fascinating. Before I ask you more about meditation, I want to know how did you personally raise $18 million to found Muse from Silicon Valley investors, as well as Ashton Kutcher, I believe, with no formal yep. business background. So you hadn't studied business, but, you know, you managed to figure that one out as well on top of everything else. Um, so the truth is, I didn't know. Um we started creating the product. So Muse came, we started in the early 2000s working on it. By 2009, we had a little startup company formed um, and we started to use it at large scale events. Like at the Olympics, we did a big project using Muse. And so we were getting the validation that this was really working and people were liking it. And then by 2012, uh, we had our first product. Like we knew what the Muse headband look like we did tons of testing to know that people found it you know fashionable and stylish and comfortable and easy to use there's the fashion background weaving in mm -hmm. and then it was time to raise money to actually bring the product to market and that process uh started with me going to an incubator um now this is like 12 years ago in the in the early more in the early days of tech startup incubators um, and particularly when nobody was excited about funding a woman in technology but I went to our local incubator I learned how to pitch I did a pitch here in Toronto where I'm from that was just I figured a throwaway these people would never invest in me and then I was actually invited to speak at MIT in Boston um, on this technology to lecture to one of the classes. And I was like, okay, well, there's investors in Boston. Let me start there. And so I did some pitching. 
uh, and then did more pitching. And along the way, you know, good ideas attract their own interest. If you have something that's really a good idea and really works and is really functional and could really make somebody money, you're going to get an investor's attention, especially if you are pitching to them in the right format, if you've learned exactly how to do this, um, which I learned very quickly from an incubator. And so by the time, you know, I reached my 20th, 30th pitch, I was getting people saying, oh, you know, this is, if this does what I think it does, like, I'm really interested in this. And so we got our first investor. And then once you get one, it snowballs. Um, but the key was really having a product that they could see was going to change people's lives, was going to work that people were going to like. Um, and was going to be something that they wanted to bring to the world as well. One of our early investors was um, from Google. He created their their meditation program, and his life's mission was to uh, create world peace in his lifetime. And we met him. He heard what we were doing, and he said, I feel like this is going to help create world peace in my lifetime. Uh, I would like to fund you. And he actually, unrelated to us, um, has been on the short list for the Nobel Peace Prize for the last several years. That's incredible. And I know that your mission is to help and inspire people so they can accomplish anything in their lives when they understand their mind. And I, th I found that profound because we're always told, if you want something, just put your mind to it like it's about focus. But actually, it makes so much more sense that it's about understanding. I mean, we can't really focus and accomplish something without understanding how our mind works. And this headband not only does that, it helps us relieve anxiety. I'd love to know more about that, Ariel. Sure. So what Muse does is it lets you know when you're in focused attention and when your mind is wandering. So in a basic meditation practice, what you're doing is you're putting your attention on your breath. Eventually your mind wanders away from your breath into your thoughts and it's your job to notice, oh, my mind has wandered. Okay, let's let those thoughts go and come on back to my meditation. So what Muse does is it signals to you using audio um, when you're focused in your meditation and then signals when your mind is wandering, the soundscape changes. And so it becomes very easy for you to begin to observe the process of your own mind. So first of all, you know, you get better at meditating because you're like, oh, right, this is what I'm doing while I meditate. Right, this is meditation. Okay, sure. And at the same time, you are building what's called metacognition, the ability to actually observe your own thinking. So somebody can say to you like, well, just focus, you know, focus is all you need. But when you're thoughts keep wandering to the fight you had with your boyfriend or the upsetness that you feel or the distraction you want from Facebook, um, you know, simply calling to you focus is, is not particularly helpful. It's the process of observing, okay, my mind has gone somewhere else. And with meditation, you learn the skill of letting go of that thought, of not following it, of not making it bigger and more dramatic, letting go of the thought, and then gently returning yourself to the task in front of you, the present moment. And as you do that, um, you're really understanding the process of your own mind. You're understanding your own tools and techniques for disengaging from unhelpful 
thinking, feeling, experiencing, um, and then being able to more effectively choose what it is that you want to put your attention to and put your mind to, to move forward. I just wonder though, with a person who's already anxious and suffers with anxiety, would they get themselves sort of into a more anxious state whenever the sound comes back and they realise that they've lost concentration? Would they start getting a bit more like, oh, it's not working, I'm not focusing on the breath, and then that get them into a spiral of not being able to get back to the breath? Um we would sort of call that getting into a tizwiz here in England. <laughs> you know, and a lot of the time we're thinking of the shopping list or something completely um, unnecessary. And then when we realize that, we can get angry with ourselves instead. Totally. And that's part of what Muse helps you avoid. So what you're hearing when your mind wanders is just the sounds get louder. It's the sound of the wind picking up. So you're not engaging in any of the content. So what tends to make people anxious is you have an anxious thought, you get upset for yourself for having the thought, you're still engaged with the thought. Muse makes its content free. It's just like, okay, mind wandered. And then there's guidance along with it that sort of soothes you and helps you understand like, oh, my mind just wandered, that's okay. And when you're finally able to let go of the caring about the fact that your mind wandered, that's when it settles down again. That's when it becomes quiet. And, and that's when it reinforces to your brain that, oh, this quiet thing is the right thing to do. So it's actually uh, like a kind of classical conditioning that when you're able to return to the right state, it reinforces you for being in that state. And then your brain over time learns, oh, you know, state, state. Mm. upset and is is not really helpful the way to get out of it is to go to stay calm it reinforces you for being in state calm and then you stay there so yes there can be a little process of frustration but there's lots of content and news that guides you through how to manage that and work through it and then that becomes a skill that you take into the rest of your life yes that makes sense so you're being rewarded every time you relax and that's the opposite of what really happens in our life. We're always rewarded for staying busy, keeping busy, doing something or using any spare moment that we have to just think, think, think. And so this is reversing it. It's getting us used to being rewarded for actually relaxing. You got it. it so meditation works on so many levels. That's that's one of the levels that it works on totally. Yes. And usually we we associate technology with causing more anxiety. And it's lovely to see that technology can be used to lessen our anxiety if it's used well and with the right intention behind it. Yes. So, you know, technology in and of itself is not a bad thing. Uh, technology has been very helpful to free up our time by doing our laundry and preparing our foods faster and, you know, all of those things. Um, however, uh, it's it's all about how you apply it. And so ironically, this is a technology that teaches you how to disengage from technology. One of the first benefits that I found was I was no longer checking my phone so often because in the past I would feel like, you know, some emotion, some thoughts, some something, and I would just short circuit to my phone. And after meditating with Muse for a period of time, I no longer had that urge to like 
run away from myself and do something else, check my phone, be distracted. It was just like, oh, I can just sit here quietly and calmly and not need to pull myself to useless things. I can really be intentional about what I'm doing with my time and my life. Mm. I feel it's not as much the us applying ourselves in a better way, but more so the intention of the people who are creating technology. So a lot of the intention behind technology is to keep us hooked, to keep us buying more, to keep us scrolling um, so they can get more advertising. You know, the intention is not to help us. But when the intention is to help us, like what you're doing yourself and the investor that you mentioned who wants to create world peace, then I think that's when you can feel the difference and you can see the good side to technology. That's the hope. I mean, so far we've been uh, very, very lucky. Mayo Clinic um, has been using Muse in many studies. The first one demonstrated that it helped women going through breast cancer. So the women use Muse for as little as three minutes a day, as long as they wanted. Um, and prior to the breast cancer surgery, and then they had less stress and fatigue during the breast cancer process um, and an improved quality of life. They're also doing studies in pain. Um, the doctors at the clinic are using it um, to avoid burnout. Um, and there's been by now over 200 different studies using Muse in a variety of different contexts. That's amazing. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah. And I'm sure in your life, you must use it as well, do you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'd love to know what changes you felt. How has it helped you? And especially as a parent now, I found that that was the most stressful and hardest time for me. And I would have loved to have had a gadget like this. Do you find that it helps you as a mother? It's helped me in so many ways I can't even describe. Um, you know, what's really helped me is the practice of meditation. And Muse was the tool to really get me into my meditation practice and get me better at it. Um, and then we've added so many new features and different kinds of meditation that has really taught me in multiple domains. So um, just a couple quick examples. I can. I have one from this morning. Uh, we. I woke up with my husband in... And he was in a bit of a tizzy about something that I had done and had brought it up to me and I could feel my upsetness rising inside. Um, but rather than like closing off, barking back, being upset, um, I was able to listen to what he was saying, feel the sensation of my body, but not get tied up in it. You know, see a thought that I might've previously had, like, you know, see like, oh, well, in the past I could have been thinking this, but no, instead I'm just listening to what he's doing what he's saying, what he's saying that I did, um, recognizing that it was not pleasant um, and responding with, oh, geez, I'm sorry. Um, I shouldn't have done that. Thank you for the feedback. Um, and younger me would have never done that. It would have been like, no, but you, blah, 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 blah. Ah, so you've already kind of been programmed to be karma. You don't have to quickly go get your headband out and take three minutes. Yes, mm. exactly. In the past, you know, I would have been like, okay, got to take a meditation break. We'll be back. But after you practice like anything else, it's a skill that you just have and you exercise and you use. 
parenting, use it all the time. Um, as, as you know, my son was tested positive for COVID. Uh, it's now been 10 days. Um, we're all stuck in the house, moving, isolating in different rooms. And I could easily spiral into, oh my God, this is terrible. Um, or I could simply accept what's going on, make smart choices, uh, you know, do everything to keep the family safe. Only he tested positive. Me and the, I have a six month old baby, we're all negative, just enjoying our life and supporting him in the ways that he needs to be supported and like keeping everybody happy and safe. And it's, it's a game changer. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> To just accept what is, you know, accept mm -hmm. what you can't change um, and then be able to move on. Yeah. Ariel, you have a wonderful TED talk that I watched called Know Thyself with a Brain Scanner. And I've listened to your podcast, Untangle, which is brilliant. Oh, thank you. And what I picked up there is you want to help people to stop feeling trapped in their body and staying small because of their thoughts and feelings. So how does this band help people change their thoughts and feelings to be able to live bigger and better lives? Oh, awesome. Okay, so we have this little voice inside of our heads, uh, typically called the inner critic. And it's a voice that tends to keep us small. It's a voice that tends to keep us feeling um, unhappy about ourselves and our performance and our life um, and tends to limit our choices. So, you know, you might think, oh, I want to go out, you know, apply for this job. And then you think, oh, but I don't have the experience. They'll never, you know, they'll, they're not going to like me. No. And you cut yourself off at the path. So in meditation, what you learn to do as we are talking about is observe your thoughts, see the thoughts that come up. And then once you see those thoughts over time, you begin to realize that A, you don't need to follow them. So, you know, the chain could easily be, oh, there's this job opportunity. Ugh, I don't know if I'm not qualified enough. Oh, they probably won't like me. Oh, I won't apply. Then there's some feelings around that. Then you feel bad about yourself. Then you, when you feel bad about yourself, then you have more negative thoughts. And then the spiral goes downwards. In a After a significant meditation practice, you might see that job opportunity, have the thought that comes up, like, oh, but I'm not experienced, and then stand back for a second. And rather than going down that path, go, hey, okay, but let's think about this rather than, you know, being sucked into the negative. Let's, you know, do like, do I have something in my past that might work? Is there something about me that they might like? Is there another angle I could come in at this? Um, and start the upward spiral rather than the downward spiral. And this little negative voice that leads to negative feelings, which leads to more negative thoughts and more negative feelings, and more negative thoughts, rules our life. You know, when you start to stop and actually listen, it's incredible how many times your own voice is cutting you down, is holding you back, is, you know, keeping you stuck making you afraid of doing things is making you feel that, you know, people won't like you or that you're a bad person. Um, and when you're able to really rationally assess that and get out of the emotional spiral of it, you begin to see that, hey, you know, these are just thoughts. It doesn't mean that they're true. Because that's the thing about thoughts. We have thousands of thoughts, hundreds of thousands of thoughts every day. Um, and frankly, Many of them are not true. 
they're just opinions. Yeah. They're just conjectures. <laughs> they're just possibilities. Mm -hmm. They're just, you know, a whole bunch of potential futures that we don't know if that's what it will actually be or not. And when you can, um, through the practice of meditation, realize, oh, that's a thought. I've learned in this practice of meditating, like when I have a thought, I don't need to follow it. I can let go and just come back to my breath. You know, I learned that with Muse a thousand times over. Then you can disengage from the negative thinking that holds you back and move into the positive space of what can I create? And, you know, let's see how this is going to turn out for the best. Mm. That's sort of like... It reminds me of the Byron Katie method of asking yourself when you're in this strong attachment of believing your thoughts, ask yourself, is it true? And at first we'll say yes, without thinking really. But the second question is, is it absolutely true? And then you start looking at other possibilities, other perspectives, and it loosens that grip of you really hanging on and believing the thoughts that are going on in your mind. So is that kind of what the headband is doing when it brings back sound and makes you realize that you've drifted um, to, to make you or help you let go of your thoughts and your belief of your thoughts? Exactly. It trains your brain to do that. It trains your brain in the process of noticing when you're having a thought, um, moving yourself above so that you can see the process of your thinking rather than get caught up in it and trains you in the process of intuitively letting go of that thought and bringing your attention elsewhere so you don't get caught up in it. And then doing so kindly and non-judgmentally. And then, so Muse has uh, both the focused attention meditation, the mind meditation we've been talking about. And then there's also meditations for the heart, the breath, the body. So they teach you how to calm your body because it's easy when you have these thoughts to get ramped up inside and that anxiety can be a big driver of the thoughts. So when you learn to calm your breath, slow down your breath, slow down your heart rate and relax, then that also benefits the feed forward into the positive. And then there is tons of guided meditations for any particular issue you might have. So you might be going into a difficult conversation at work or have a fight with your partner or you know want to wake up to morning joy or be frustrated standing in line. Um, you know, we have specific meditations for all of those things and more um, to really help you see the challenge that you're in from a new perspective. Mm. You know, I coach people on confidence, feeling more confident to live that bigger, better life and to free themselves from these these thoughts that hold us back. But it sounds to me like you have always been doing that, even before the headband. You had that mindset of, yeah, I want to study this, I'll do that. So what do you think helped you do that? So one thing is I naturally had a very quiet inner critic. So um, as a young child, my parents were very supportive of me and my ideas and decisions. So I didn't have the internalized voice of the parent always saying no, 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 which is uh, part of how your inner critic develops. Yes, you know, my parents said no, like don't go out late at night, don't do stupid things. Um, but they never said no to my ideas. Um, and they always gave me a lot of positive reinforcement that built my confidence. So, you know, parenting tip we, we tend to be like, no, we don't, you know, a lot of parents are like, no, you don't want to be, you don't want to inflate their egos. You don't want them to be little monsters. You don't want them. 
giving positive reinforcement is incredibly helpful to building their self-esteem and building their confidence in life. Um, for those of you who may not have had that growing up, um, it's very helpful to stand back and say, well, that was just the parenting style I was raised with that doesn't you know, determine my genetics. It doesn't determine who I'm going to be. It just determined how I felt for a period of time. And now that I can stand back and see that, I can see that that early parenting had these effects. I don't need to be bound by that. That, you know, that's, that was some stories that somebody told me and let's tell myself some new stories. It might take a bit of therapy to work through that. but Yeah. And realizing that it's not your own voice. Yes. It's your parents' voice that repeats itself over and over again in your head and exactly. you can change that. And I also, again, parenting tip, you know, grew up with very strong, unconditional love. So I knew it was okay for me to fail because I would still be loved and valued. Such an important message to receive as a yes. child. So again, parenting tip, let your children know they're unconditionally loved and it's safe to fail. Um, if you didn't get that growing up, again, you can start to kind of assess through your your inner world and ask yourself you know do i feel loved am i loved do i do i feel i'm worthy of love and if the answer to any of those questions is no um then that can't be true <laughs> you know that then go to the like really is that really true um even though it might feel true it's not true it's part of the um story that you were brought up with in your own head as a child um, that you as an adult can now change and reconsider. Um, and so as you start to sort of, you know, close these wounds of childhood, which really can heal, they're, they're just stories you were given when you were a kid. And as an adult, you can tell a new story. You can refill your own bucket. You can recognize your self-worth. Um, therapy really helps, says the therapist. Um, but you can even do this on your own, but therapy really helps. Um, it's the process of letting go of those old narratives that hold you back and choosing new ones. And a big part of that process is being able to observe your thoughts and feelings, um, not judge them, just understand what's going on, and then make a different choice based on that new information. Wow, that's so important to hear for a lot of people. And so helpful to know as well. As a psychotherapist, Arielle, how would you explain that some people have more anxiety than others and it has nothing to do with whether their trauma was more or less? Are there specific reasons for that? Sure. So some of the predisposition for anxiety is genetic um, and some of it is based on how you were parented. So, you know, there are people with uh, nervous systems that are more tightly, tightly wound, let's say, with vagus nerves that don't bring you down as easily, with uh, threat systems that are more easily um, uh, triggered. However, the feeling of anxiety in your body doesn't mean there's actually something wrong in the world. So you might have a system that's more, you know, more easily rattled but that's not because the world is more rattling. And part of what you end up learning as you learn how to manage that anxiety is that when you feel those sensations of anxiety, it's just a sensation. It doesn't need to mean something. 
Um, an example that I love to talk about is the uh, broken alarm in the house. So let's say you live in an apartment building and one day the fire alarm goes off. What do you do? Oh no, it's a fire alarm. There's a fire. Your heart starts racing. You grab your hat, you grab your coat, you run out to the street. You, you know, look anxiously up the building. And fireman says all clear. You go back in. The next day, the bell goes again. You do kind of the same thing, but a little bit more calmly. The next day it goes again. Now by day 12, the fire alarm is still going at the same time each day. And at this point, you're like, it's a broken alarm. I don't care anymore. You're there making your eggs, watching Oprah, <laughs> and being annoyed because yeah. the sound is like, I wish the sound would stop. But you're not scared. Anxiety is just a broken alarm. So anxiety is the sensation that there is something very wrong or something very bad that's going to happen when actually there's not. And the person next to you is sitting there feeling completely fine. And so when we feel these sensations of anxiety, we're naturally interpreting them to mean there's something wrong. So we have thoughts about the thing that could be wrong, which triggers more feelings in our body about the thing that, you know, your body is telling you, your mind is telling you is wrong, which creates more thoughts in the spiral that ramps. And when you can instead have a sensation of anxiety, say to yourself, I have a body that sometimes gives me the sensation, um, and just wait through the sensation without creating more thoughts and feelings around it, eventually the sensation dissipates. And when you do that a few times, the sensation dissipates even further. And you've now learned how to break out of the anxiety cycle rather than ramping it up. Yeah. And this is, you know, it takes a lot of patience and a lot of self-awareness to do. Um, meditation becomes, you know, an essential practice for it because it lets you see it without responding to it. So in a meditation practice, you might sit there for five minutes and for the first three or four minutes, you're focusing on your breath and that's great. Um, and then in minute four, you might feel kind of antsy and like you need to get up and you need to leave or maybe something's wrong. Um, but you don't get up, you don't leave, you don't do anything, you don't engage those thoughts, you just let it go and you come on back to your breath. And then a minute five, six, seven comes around and you're still sitting there and nothing bad happens and you didn't need to get up and it was okay. And as you start to do that, it repatterns the parts of your brain and body that would have previously thought there was a problem, acted like there was a problem, reinforced that there was a problem, and then became primed to do the same thing again. So you start to really break those connections and retrain your body and mind out of the anxiety cycle. Mm. And when you learn to self-soothe, you start trusting yourself more. You're not as panicked about being in a situation where you're going to lose control if you know how to self-soothe. And that's something we really lack and haven't been taught as children. So self-soothing with the headband, I imagine then would lead to less anxiety and better sleep. So is that how you devised yeah, it? Yeah, so meditation absolutely can help you sleep better. Um we heard from a lot of people who were using Muse that the most common times to do it were in the morning to start your day and at night uh, to help them sleep. And people were reporting and self-reports better sleep after meditating with Muse in the evenings. And so we then went and built a purpose-built headband called Muse S, which is soft, that you can actually wear 
as you're falling asleep and it gives you beautiful guided meditations um, to help you fall asleep. And then we took the science a few steps further and we, because there is a clinical grade EEG on your head that's sensing um, your, your brain, we are actually able to um, track and classify sleep almost as effectively as a sleep lab. So the device is really able to understand when you're changing from awakeness into sleep and to guide you there more effectively. So it's a experience that we call the digital sleeping pill. And as you're listening to a guided meditation or a sleep story or a soundscape, whatever you find soothing, it actually starts changing the content, changing the volume and changing the experience as your brain goes into sleep in order to more effectively walk it into sleep. And then once you are asleep, it shuts off. So it's not like a podcast that you're listening to and you sort of fall asleep and then you wake up half an hour later and you're still listening to it. Um, this actually shuts off when you're asleep. And if you are still wearing the device and wake up in the middle of the night, um, it will wake up with you and then automatically bring in the same beautiful experience that helped you fall asleep the first time. That's really built sleep cues for you. So it's amazing and quite effective. Um, a study by Dr. Adrian Owen's lab, a great neuroscientist, um, very active in Britain. He demonstrated that using Muse helps improve quality of sleep by 20%, according to like the gold standard measures. Amazing. I can't wait to try it. Um, I'll be putting all your social media links, of course, in the episode notes for the TED Talk and your podcast. But if other people want to try Muse as well, where can they find it? And is there a special code as well for a discount for those who've heard sure. the episode? If you want to try Muse, you can go to choosemuse.com. So C-H-O-O-S-E, Muse, M-U-S-E. Um, and there's a discount code for listeners. It's POD10, P-O-D-1-0. Um, and you can try it money back uh, if you don't like it. And so hopefully you too will have a beautiful experience of beginning the practice of or deepening the practice of meditation and getting on the road to better sleep. Thank you, Arielle. It's been such a pleasure talking to you and finding out about this brilliant headband that's going to help millions of people with their anxiety oh, and you. depression. It's my joy and pleasure to speak today. And it wasn't just me creating this. There's, you know, a whole team. There's lots of researchers. There's a whole community that, that has been co-creating it together. So it's been an honor to work together on it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Breaking Free, please share it with your friends or on your social media platforms. And of course, I'd really love it if you can subscribe, rate or review the show. You can reach me directly at raniacurdy.com if you would like to ask a question, comment on what you heard today or find out how I can support you on your journey.